Hello and welcome to the First Day in Football Show. I am your host, Tobias Brown. We are back with episode 15. And like I promised, folks, today is Hot Take Wednesday, but on a Friday. And in today's episode, we are going to have a blind resume picker where I'm going to give you guys either option A and option B for a few different players. And then you guys... You'll get to decide who would you rather have, option A or option B. I'll, of course, tell you who each player is at the end, and then you can kind of decide, hey, was that guy who I thought I would have taken or not? But before we get into all the fun little hot take that we have for you today, I wanted to give you guys the latest news and notes from around the football world. First and foremost, the Jacksonville Jaguars have hired their new head coach, Doug Peterson, the former Philadelphia Eagles head coach. He's been hired to be the new Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. Peterson, like I said, former Eagles head coach, won a Super Bowl with the Eagles, of course, when Nick Foles was the quarterback, the Philly special beating Tom Brady. Widely known for winning that Super Bowl. Prior to being the Eagles head coach, he had spent a couple seasons as the Kansas City Chiefs offensive coordinator, was also the quarterback's coach in Philadelphia for a couple seasons as well. Is a former NFL player, did win a Super Bowl as a player. He was Brett Favre's backup when Favre and the Packers won a Super Bowl in the 90s. Played a little bit for Cleveland as well as some other franchises. So he not only has experience playing the quarterback position, he has experience coaching the quarterback position. He was an offensive coordinator under Andy Reid in Kansas City. Of course, was the head coach when Carson Wentz had some of his most productive seasons. Won a Super Bowl with Nick Foles as his quarterback. So comes highly regarded and normally I would say this isn't a bad hire you know getting a guy like Doug Peterson with the pedigree that Peterson has I mean a winning record in the NFL at 42 and 37 a four and two playoff record I mean normally I would say hey that's not a bad hire for a team like Jacksonville that just went through the debacle of Urban Meyer but it feels like the way this coaching hire went down, specifically the fact that the front runner for the job, Byron Leftwich, essentially pulled his name out of the running. It just it, it's kind of a muddy hire. You know, it seemed that Leftwich was the guy. Leftwich, it was gonna be his job. He's a former Jaguars player. He's had great success as a coach, both as the offensive coordinator of the Arizona Cardinals. Most recently he is the offensive coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Of course, they won the Super Bowl last year, were a very good offense again this year. So so it kind of felt like Leftwich was going to be the guy. Leftwich, though, had kind of an ultimatum for the Jaguars. He did not want to be the head coach under current general manager Trent Bulky. He wanted the Jaguars to fire Trent Bulky, and he wanted to bring in Adrian Wilson, former NFL safety Adrian Wilson, now a member of the Arizona Cardinals front office. That is who Leftwich wanted to bring in if Leftwich was going to be hired as the head coach. For whatever reason, Jacksonville Jaguars owner Shad Khan was like, no, you know, really kind of want to stick with Bulky. I, I don't understand the obsession that Shot Khan has with Trent Bulky. Trent Bulky has been a general manager prior to his tenure in Jacksonville. He was a general manager for a few seasons with the San Francisco 49ers. They were very lackluster seasons, nothing of note, you know, in regards to his time as a general manager. So I'm not sure why Shad Khan is so convinced that sticking with Trent Bulky is the right move. There's reports that Shad Khan and the Jaguars are looking to hire Rick Spielman, former Minnesota Vikings general manager Rick Spielman. Spielman to a front office role that would essentially put Spielman ahead of Bulky. I don't know if that will kind of cap some of Bulky's, 
you know, say in power in roster decisions. It'll be interesting. But like I said, Doug Peterson, he does come with a pedigree of being well-known as a quarterback's coach, an offensive coordinator, an offensive-minded coach. I think this is a good hire for the development of Trevor Lawrence. I think Doug Peterson will work well with a guy like Trevor Lawrence. It'll be interesting to see what kind of staff does Doug Peterson build. You know, you think specifically to when he had the most success with Carson Wentz and the Philadelphia Eagles, and his offensive coordinator was Frank Reich. He won't be able to bring in Frank Reich now as Frank Reich is the current head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. So who does Doug Peterson bring in, and what kind of relationship is Doug Peterson able to build with the front office in Jacksonville? Doug Peterson kind of wore out his welcome in Philadelphia because he and Howie Roseman, Howie Roseman, the current general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles, he and Howie Roseman... You know, they kind of butted heads big time. And Howie Roseman is kind of a tumultuous general manager. He's got some, you know, checkered draft picks in recent memory. The big one is taking Jalen Rager, the wide receiver out of TCU, over Justin Jefferson, who won a pick later and has been sensational for the Minnesota Vikings. So Doug Peterson is familiar working with general managers who maybe are not the most popular. Be interesting to see what that looks like. Like I said, though, I think this is a great hire in the sense that Peterson has the capability to maximize a Trevor Lawrence's potential. It just feels like this hire is overshadowed by what could have been if you could have had Leftwich and how Leftwich had to decline the job the manner when he went about doing it. Speaking of other head coaching hires, the Minnesota Vikings have hired their head coach and it is not Jim Harbaugh. The reports came out earlier this week that Harbaugh was expected to get the job. He felt very confident he was going to get the job. He felt so confident that he left Ann Arbor, Michigan on National Signing Day and flew to Minneapolis, Minnesota to have a nine-hour interview with the Minnesota Vikings to leave that interview not only not getting the job, but not even having the job offered to him. The Vikings didn't even tender him an offer. It, From all reports, it sounds like it wasn't that it was Harbaugh who turned the job down. It sounds like it was the Minnesota Vikings not being interested in making Harbaugh the next head coach. And you know, that could be several reasons. Harbaugh's in his late 50s. He is kind of established in the way he is. You know, some of the coaching hires we've seen in recent memory, they are younger, more innovative, offensive-minded coaches, whether it's Sean McVay in 2017 with the Los, Los Angeles Rams, whether it's Kyle Shanahan with the San Francisco 49ers, Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, you've got Matt LaFleur in Green Bay. We've seen a lot of innovative offensive minds, you know, Cliff Kingsbury as well in Arizona. So were the Vikings wanting to go along that? It, it certainly appears to be that way, given the fact that the Vikings appear to be ready to announce current Los Angeles Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell as their next head coach. O'Connell's only been in the coaching ranks for five years. He's a former NFL backup quarterback, most notably serving as Tom Brady's backup with the New England Patriots for a short period of time. So O'Connell has that pedigree of being a former NFL quarterback, um, a member of the Sean McVay coaching tree that has kind of grown surprisingly for the fact that McVay just became a head coach in 2017. That coaching tree has the likes of Matt LaFleur on it, Zach Taylor, who's going to be coaching in a Super Bowl, and now Kevin O'Connell. I think that O'Connell... It, it, it'll be interesting. The, the jury's kind of out on a guy like Kevin O'Connell. You hear, well, he's the offensive coordinator of the Los Angeles Rams, and you immediately think, well, the Rams have a great offense. This must be a great hire. But Kevin O'Connell is not the play caller in Los Angeles. It's well known that Sean McVay calls the plays. So what exactly 
do the Vikings see in a Kevin O'Connell that they feel more comfortable hiring him than, let's say, a Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator of the New York Giants, who is a well-established, well-regarded coach, or even a Jim Harbaugh? I mean, like I said, I know Harbaugh is older, maybe a little more entrenched in his ways. We don't know if maybe Harbaugh was requesting to have more say over personnel decisions and the Vikings weren't comfortable with that. We're not privy to all of that, but it's just interesting that the Vikings decided to decline going after a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who went to a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers, just took the University of Michigan to the college football playoff, or a guy like Patrick Graham, who has over 20 years of coaching experience and is one of the better defensive coordinators in the NFL. It'll be interesting to see how this hire pays off. I do have to say, though, this look for Harbaugh is not a good one. Really, the fact that he left Michigan high and dry on National Signing Day thinking that he was out of Ann Arbor, he was back in the NFL, and just really not showing any regard for the University of Michigan in that sense, only to find out that the Vikings weren't interested in hiring him, and now he kind of has to tuck his tail and go back to Michigan. Now, he has assured the athletic director for the University of Michigan that I'm here to stay as long as you'll have me. This will not be a reoccurring theme, but how does this look for recruits? If you're a recruit, you know, Harbaugh can say all those things, but he's now shown you, hey, if he has a chance to, you know, tuck it and run, he's going to tuck it and run. So be interesting to see how this affects Michigan in the sense of luring big time recruits. Some other coaching news and hires from around the NFL. The New York Giants have hired their offensive coordinator. They hired current Kansas City Chiefs quarterback coach and passing game coordinator Mike Kafka. Mike Kafka played his college ball. He was a college quarterback at Northwestern University, was a late round draft pick of the Philadelphia Eagles, had a brief cup of coffee in the NFL as a quarterback, but has been a part of the Chiefs staff for the last several seasons. The Chiefs really were very high on Kafka. Kafka was somebody that teams had been trying to lure away for quite some time. The Philadelphia Eagles had him in for interviews last year, and the Chiefs bumped him from just quarterback coach to passing game coordinator, which of course came with a raise trying to keep him there. But Kafka has moved on. He's joining, joining Brian Dayball staff with the New York Giants as their offensive coordinator. I really like this hire. Like I said, Kafka being a former college quarterback, former NFL quarterback, he understands the grinds of the job. I think the Giants are doing their best possible now to give Daniel Jones every necessary tool to succeed. If Daniel Jones can't succeed now, he can't blame it on the coaching staff. He's got a proven offensive-minded coach in Brian Dayball. He's got a young, innovative offensive coordinator with Mike Kafka, who has experience serving under Andy Reid. Really, it's Daniel Jones's time to shine if he can't get it done. I think it's pretty apparent at this point that it would be on Daniel Jones. Speaking of offensive coordinators hires, the Buffalo Bills had an opening with Brian Dayball leaving to take the head coaching position of the New York Giants, and they have promoted current quarterback coach Ken Dorsey. So Ken Dorsey, he was rumored to be going with Dayball to the Giants. Dorsey decided to stay in Buffalo, and he has been promoted to offensive coordinator. Again, I think this... Another great hire, Dorsey, former college standout at Miami of Florida, played in the national championship there, had, you know, brief time in the NFL with both the Carolina Panthers and the Cleveland Browns. Again, another smart-minded coach. And what I like about it is you're keeping a coach that Josh Allen is very familiar with, that Josh Allen is very fond of in Buffalo. That is important. I know Josh Allen is having a lot of success and it appears that Josh Allen is taking the step. I know I've said time and time again that Josh Allen is a top five quarterback in the NFL at this point. 
but he's still a young quarterback, and you want to keep the nucleus of that coaching staff together, especially given the fact that Buffalo Bills head coach Sean McDermott is a defensive-minded coach. You want to keep as many of the offensive coaches as you can for continuity for Josh Allen, so I like the fact that they were able to just promote Ken Dorsey to offensive coordinator, and the Bills have already hired a new quarterback coach. They go out and get former LSU offensive coordinator and former Carolina Panther offensive coordinator Joe Brady. I had talked earlier in a previous episode about you know teams with young quarterbacks bringing in a Joe Brady to be a quarterback coach. I said you know his time in Carolina that the the lack of success that offense had was not on Joe Brady. The lack of success that offense had is because there's no talent at the quarterback position and they have an abysmal offensive line. Joe Brady, when he was at LSU and he had a Jamar Chase, he had a Justin Jefferson, he had a Terrence Marshall Jr., and he had a Joe Burrow at quarterback, looked like one of the most innovative offensive minds in football. I really like this hire. Again, young, innovative coaches pairing them with a young, innovative quarterback like Josh Allen. I think that's a slam dunk hire by the Buffalo Bills. And just to update you guys a little bit on the Brian Flores lawsuit, um, he did appear on several ESPN talk shows kind of to further explain his lawsuit. But since the lawsuit has come out, two coaches have come out and kind of backed Flores, most notably former Cleveland Browns head coach Hugh Jackson. He claims that he was incentivized to lose by Cleveland Browns owner Jimmy Haslam. Now, it's interesting because he claims he was incentivized to lose, but when he was pressed on it in an ESPN interview, he wouldn't go as far to say, yes, I was paid to lose games, but he did say at the end of the year, Jimmy Haslam gave him a $750,000 bonus. Um, Hugh Jackson appears to be more kind of referring to the fact that he wasn't given a chance to win given the lack of talent he was given on offense and the lack of talent he was given on the overall roster. I, It's tough because obviously Jimmy Haslam as an owner is not exactly the most credible owner. He's had, you know, issues outside of football ownership with his, you know, private ventures with pilot flying J. So it'll be interesting to see if there's any credibility to these allegations and if, a guy like Hugh Jackson is to join the lawsuit against the league that Brian Flores has brought on. And current Pittsburgh Steelers defensive backs coach, Terrell Austin, he interviewed for the head coaching position for the Detroit Lions back in 2018. And he claims that that was essentially a sham interview as well. Not a lot of details have emerged as to what exactly made said interview a sham, but it is something to keep an eye on. I look for more news like this to come out in the coming days and weeks. There's been a lot of minority coaches hired and fired in recent memory where it felt like, you know, we talked about in the last episode, Steve Wilkes with the Arizona Cardinals. He gets hired first year. He has a rookie quarterback in Josh Rosen. Everybody's thinking he's a first-year coach, rookie quarterback. They're going to give him at least a couple years. And Josh Rosen played terribly that first year. Really couldn't put the disaster of a season solely on Steve Wilkes with as bad as Josh Rosen looked. Yet the Cardinals cut bait in the offseason, you know, released him, they fired him, and it was just it was kind of bizarre to see them do that so soon. And then most recently, David Culley, this past season with the Houston Texans. The Texans were projected to win, what, two games this year? Culley wins four, and he makes Davis Mills look like a capable NFL starting quarterback, yet the Texans choose to fire David Culley. So 
it'll be interesting to see what other coaches would potentially join this lawsuit. And the NFL has come out and said, you know, they are going to launch an investigation into the allegations of Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross paying or incentivizing Brian Flores with $100,000 per loss in 2019 to improve the draft pick that the Dolphins would have had to get the better quarterback. I think just, you know, one thing I find so kind of ironic about that is Stephen Ross, you know, that year we heard nothing but tank for Tua, tank for Tua, tank for Tua. So there is some credibility to what Flores is saying because there was a lot of talk around league circles at the time about would the Miami Dolphins tank for a guy like Tua Tagovailoa? Well, the Dolphins didn't completely tank because Brian Flores is just that good of a head coach. Brian Flores somehow took a team who looked like they were trying to tank. They looked like they were trying their hardest to tank, but Brian Flores still made them a relevant football team and a team that couldn't get the number one or number two overall pick. They did end up with the number five pick in that draft, and they did still end up with Tua Tagovailoa, but it's just interesting that, I mean, there there is some credibility to this, just given the league, you know, what was going on in the league at the time. But I want to get into these blind resume reactions. Essentially what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys option A and option B. I'm going to read you guys their stats from this past season, how much they make per year. And then we'll talk about who each player is and basically who would you rather have given the whole, you know, grand scheme picture of it. So first we're going to start at the quarterback position. So option A, this player completed 285 passes out of 426 that he attempted for a 66.9 completion percentage. He threw for 3,052 yards this season, averaging 7.2 yards per completion, had 18 touchdown passes to seven interceptions for a QBR or a quarterback rating of 94.9 and This quarterback made $11.5 million, which is 17th in the NFL at the quarterback position. Now, option B, this quarterback completed 357 passes out of 531 attempted for 67.2% completion percentage. This quarterback threw for 3,734 yards with an average of seven yards per completion. This quarterback threw 21 touchdowns to 14 interceptions for a quarterback rating a QBR of 89.6. And this quarterback made $29.5 million this season, which is 11th in the NFL at the quarterback position. So essentially looking at these blind resumes, player B did attempt more passes, attempted a little over 100 more passes compared to option A. Option B did have the higher completion percentage. Um, Option B threw for nearly 700 more yards, but option A took care of the football a little better. Only seven interceptions versus option B doubling that interception output with 14 interceptions. And option A did have the better QBR by over five points. And really, I think the big one to keep in mind here is those contracts. Option A was only getting paid $11.5 million, while option B is up at $29.5 million. So I know you guys are going to ask, who was option A? Who was option B? Well, option A is Teddy Bridgewater. Option B is, of course, Ryan Tannehill. 
So I know a lot of you guys are going to say, well, I would rather have Ryan Tannehill than Teddy Bridgewater. Even though Tannehill had the collapse in the playoffs, Tannehill is a more proven quarterback than Teddy Bridgewater. And okay, maybe, maybe not. The thing with Teddy Bridgewater is Teddy Bridgewater is not a gunslinger. He's not that big of a risk taker. Teddy Bridgewater is going to take what's given to him. Teddy Bridgewater is perfectly content to have a you know statistic goal game of 20 for 32 for 210 yards, a touchdown, and no interceptions. That's a, that's a normal Teddy Bridgewater game. Nobody's too shocked by that. Ryan Tannehill can have a big game where he may throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns, but then he's going to follow it up with the game where he only throws for 215 yards and he throws three costly interceptions like he did in that divisional round matchup against the Cincinnati Bengals. And so you ask yourself, okay, if Ryan Tannehill is still better, even though the statistics are pretty close, if you still want to say that Ryan Tannehill is the better option, he's the better quarterback, is he better by $18 million a year, would you rather pay Ryan Tannehill $29.5 million a year or pay Teddy Bridgewater $11.5 million a year and use the $18 million a year you're saving in cap space to build around Teddy Bridgewater, whether it be get him a better offensive line, you could get him better, you know. So I, I think specifically with the Denver Broncos, would the Denver Broncos rather have Teddy Bridgewater again or Ryan Tannehill? If they, if they rolled it back, if they ran it back with a Teddy Bridgewater and they had that cap space they're saving, they could go out and improve at the tackle position. They could go out and improve at the center position instead of rolling Lloyd Cushenberry out there, the second-year center from LSU, who has been a disaster since coming into the league. They could go and upgrade at the center position, potentially with a guy like Jason Kelsey, who's going to be a free agent, who's been spectacular with the Philadelphia Eagles in his time in the NFL. So... In my personal opinion, I would rather have a Teddy Bridgewater, given the totality of the resumes, given really what it comes down to for me is Teddy Bridgewater is going to take better care of the football. He is not going to throw the costly interceptions that Ryan Tannehill throws, and I can get Teddy Bridgewater at $18 million less than I can pay Ryan Tannehill. And to me, that $18 million is massive when I think about what I could go out and get to surround Teddy Bridgewater with. So now we're going to move on to the second scenario. Again, option A and option B. This time we are looking at the running back position. So option A. Option A had 258 rushing attempts this year for 1,037 yards with an average of four yards per carry. Option A ran for seven touchdowns this year. So option A had seven rushing touchdowns. And option A had 42 receptions for 294 yards and three receiving touchdowns. And option A made $1.2 million this year, a salary of $1.2 million, which is 38th in the NFL at the running back position. Option B had 237 rushing attempts this year for 1,002 rushing yards for an average of 4.2 yards per carry with 10 rushing touchdowns. Option B had 47 receptions for 287 yards and two receiving touchdowns this year. And option B made $15 million this year, which is number one in the NFL amongst running backs. So really, again, the big difference is option A had about 20 more carries than option B. Option B averaged about 0.2 more yards per carry than option A. Option B had three more rushing touchdowns. Option A, 
Option A, though, did have one more receiving touchdown. So pretty close statistical numbers. So you'll ask, who was option A, who was option B? Option A is Antonio Gibson, the young running back for the Washington Commanders. And option B is Ezekiel Elliott of the Dallas Cowboys. Speaking of the Washington Commanders, to segue a little bit, can we just talk about how atrocious that name is? The Washington Commanders. I was not a fan of the Washington football team, but I think I might rather have them just stay the Washington football team instead of staying the Washington commanders. If you have Twitter, if you have any social media, I'm sure you've seen the joke, but if you haven't, let me tell it for you. The Washington commanders are in Washington, D.C. They are a red and yellow colored team, essentially. That's their team colors. And if you shorten commanders, it's commies. So we have the Washington commies of red and yellow color in Washington, D.C. If you don't see the irony there, I'm sorry. But anyway, getting back to option A and option B. So like I said, option A was Antonio Gibson. Option B is Ezekiel Elliott. Who would you rather have? I think everybody would normally say, well, I'd rather have Ezekiel Elliott. He's a more proven commodity. He's led the NFL in rushing. He's been in the league since 2016 and been pretty productive. But here's my issue with a guy like Ezekiel Elliott. You guys know how I feel about giving running backs big money contracts. The Dallas Cowboys are giving Ezekiel Elliott $15 million a year. Meanwhile, Antonio Gibson is out here rushing for 1,000 yards on a similar workload as Ezekiel Elliott, and he's on a rookie contract only making $1.2 million per year. Antonio Gibson was a pretty good running back coming out of college at the University of Memphis. To me, again, I think it's pretty simple. I'm going to take option A on this one. I like Antonio Gibson a lot. I think Antonio Gibson adds something out of the passing game. Now, that's not to say Ezekiel Elliott doesn't, and that's not to say that Ezekiel Elliott is a bad running back. I think there is a player like Ezekiel Elliott is a good football player. Here's the issue with a player like Ezekiel Elliott. At $15 million, his value greatly diminishes quickly because now if I can't get Twelve to 1,500 yards out of Ezekiel Elliott every year? What's the point of having him? If you look at the Dallas Cowboys this year, the Dallas Cowboys were a running back by committee, essentially. He and Tony Pollard split reps, and there was a lot of talk going around, will the Dallas Cowboys cut Ezekiel Elliott because of the emergence of a Tony Pollard? So if the Cowboys are already beginning to have those internal discussions, why would you keep Ezekiel Elliott at $15 million per year well, you can get similar production from a guy like Antonio Gibson at $1.2 million per year. Last one. This is the quarterback position again. I will tell you guys with this one, not where the salaries are kind of out on this one. Salaries aren't as important as these are both two very young quarterbacks. So option A, he completed 265 passes out of 432 attempts for a completion percentage of 61.3%. Option A had 3,144 passing yards this year for a com average completion of 7.3 yards. So he averaged 7.3 yards per completion. Option A threw 16 touchdown passes to nine interceptions and had a QBR, a quarterback rating of 87.2. Now, option A was also a very good runner with the football at the quarterback position. Option A ran the football 139 times for 784 yards for an average of 5.6 yards per carry and contributed 10 rushing touchdowns. 
Option A is on a rookie contract and is currently making $1.5 million per year. Now let's compare that to option B at the quarterback position. Option B completed 246 passes out of only 382 attempted passes. That is a completion percentage of 64.4% for option B. Option B threw for 2,882 yards this year with a 7.5 yard average per completion. So option B threw 7.5 yards per completion. Option B also threw for 16 passing touchdowns this year, but option B threw 13 interceptions this year for a quarterback rating a QBR of 87 even. Option B was another great running quarterback, having 133 rushing attempts for 767 yards with an average of 5.8 yards per rush. Option B contributed two rushing touchdowns this year and made $2.3 million again, also on a rookie deal. Very similar quarterbacks. You know, obviously this is a pretty narrowed down selection. Who could it be? Not a whole lot of quarterbacks rushing for those kind of numbers in the NFL this season. Option A is no other than Jalen Hurts starting quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles. And option B is Lamar Jackson, former MVP quarterback of the Baltimore Ravens. So you ask yourself, I think it's pretty easy. I would, you know, Anybody who has watched a football game would say Lamar Jackson's a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts. Lamar Jackson is clearly the better quarterback. If if you watch football, it seems like the easy answer is Lamar Jackson, and you know, by a wide margin, Lamar Jackson's a former MVP. Lamar, it's not even what two years ago Lamar Jackson was MVP, was dominating the NFL, but. So why are we having this conversation then? Well, I, I think we it's a conversation worth having. For one, the numbers are pretty similar. You know, I understand that Jalen Hurts threw more passes. He played in more games. But you have to look at the averages. Don't look at the total number of yards they threw. Look at the averages they had. You know, Hurts averages about 7.3 yards per completion. Jackson's right at about 7.5. So they throw the ball similarly downfield, meaning the way they push the ball, they're not, you know, they're not going to push the ball downfield. They're much more, you know, short to intermediate throwers of the football. They both threw 16 touchdowns. You know, that's something I feel that Jalen Hurts, again, even though Lamar Jackson doesn't have a great receiving core, I feel like his receiving core is much better than Jalen Hurts, given the fact that Lamar Jackson has one of the best tight ends in football with Mark Andrews, you know, former first round pick, Hollywood Brown, Marquise Brown, Oklahoma, Miles Boykin, you know, several receivers. Sammy Watkins is someone they brought in in the offseason. If, if you look at what Jalen Hurts has outside of Dallas Goddard at tight end, who has been banged up a lot over the last couple of years. And then the emergence of rookie wide receiver, Devontae Smith, Jalen Hurts does not have a whole lot to throw the football to. So very similar passing numbers. The big thing that stands out to me is Lamar Jackson in less games this year through four more interceptions. That's something we've seen more and more with Lamar Jackson is he's not taking as good of care of the football as he once was. And it just feels like he sometimes gets baited into throws at this point. Both very good runners with the football you're seeing. They're both right around, you know, Hertz and Jackson, both right around five and a half yards per carry. The biggest thing, Hertz is able to get into the end zone. He seems to finish his runs off with touchdowns. 
So they're both, I mean, very good quarterbacks and they're both very cheap quarterbacks. I mean, to be able to have these guys on their rookie deal where neither one of them's even making two and a half million a year. I mean, that's a steal for the franchises and really something that these two teams cannot afford to waste because I think both of these guys are starting quarterbacks in the NFL and I think they're good quarterbacks. The reason I wanted to compare these guys is not so much that I think definitively that one is clearly better than the other. I mean, if you had to persuade me, who would I rather have, you know, all things aside, who would I rather have on my roster? I would probably rather have Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson is a tad better than Jalen Hurts. But the reason I want to have this discussion is because Lamar Jackson's a former MVP. Lamar Jackson's currently set to play on his fifth year option. And there's talks about giving Lamar Jackson a big time contract extension in the realm of like what we've seen with Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, you know, these big contract extensions. So the reason I bring it up is, are we sure that we want to give Lamar Jackson that kind of money? We're seeing a decrease in his QBR. We're seeing a decrease in, you know, his really just overall play. He's throwing more interceptions. He's not taking as good of care of the football. He this year battled some injuries and this is going to continue to happen. When you have a running quarterback of this nature, injuries are going to happen. I just, in my opinion, the reason I think we have to talk about this is a, the Philadelphia Eagles are talking about, you know, what there's whispers about, well, is Jalen Hurts even a starting quarterback in the NFL? So the, should the Eagles look at using one of their three first round picks at drafting a quarterback? So a lot of teams, you know, and a lot of, you know, people were already saying, is Jalen Hurts worthy of starting in this league? Well, a lot of people, you know, with Lamar Jackson are saying he's a former MVP. You got to give him a big money contract extension. And what I would advise and what I would say is hold the phone. Let's stop. A, option A, and Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback in the NFL, and at $1.5 million per year, Jalen Hurts is a guy I would love. Having Jalen Hurts at $1.5 million per year, if you have a competent GM who can draft, not Howie Roseman, but an actual competent GM who can draft and can build a roster around Jalen Hurts and can go out and add pieces in free agency, Philadelphia Eagles are contenders having a quarterback that cheap who is that dynamic of a runner like Jalen Hurts. And I look at Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson, his value is infinite at $2.3 million per year. And I would say his value is infinite at $25 million per year. But I think where Lamar Jackson's value begins to become greatly diminished. And the reason I feel like we need to have this conversation is I don't think we can definitively say that Jalen Hurts may not be a starter in the NFL, but that Lamar Jackson deserves a max big money contract. I think Lamar Jackson deserves a contract extension. Baltimore's not going to go out tomorrow and find a clear-cut better quarterback than Lamar Jackson on the open market. Baltimore would be fools to just completely move on from Lamar Jackson. But why pay him a massive contract extension when you can play him on the fifth-year option at about 18 to $20 million? You can franchise tag him. That's going to be no more than $25 million. I, to me, the reason we're having this conversation is because Lamar Jackson and Jalen Hurts are very similar players, yet the expectations and the thoughts around both of them could not be any more different. In my opinion, Lamar Jackson not worth the big money contract just yet. I need to see how does he rebound from an injury-filled season this past year, and how does he adjust now that teams are kind of figuring out his running style and making him more of a passer. We saw more games than ever where Lamar Jackson had to be a pocket passer this year, 
And that is why we saw the interceptions go up. I think Lamar Jackson needs to show us more. And that's not to say Jalen Hurts doesn't have more to show. That completion percentage has to get better, 61.3%. understand there's a lot of drops mixed in there, but he has got to take a step forward. Like I said, though, if I had to pick one option, I am still going to lean with the former league MVP, Lamar Jackson, but definitely a fun conversation to at least have, given how closely resembled their two resumes are but that's all we've got for you guys today given the fact that we had a little hot take friday we will be back on monday of course it won't be a review pod because there is no nfl games this weekend unless you count the pro bowl which nobody counts the pro bowl as an actual football game so we're not going to review it but we will be back monday we've got a great episode in store for you guys then but until then like i always say rate subscribe and review to the podcast Hope you guys have a good weekend and we will see you later.